Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Music, 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 music. Is that what it sounds like outside at the VidCon party? Yeah, it's just constant. Sounds like the Lone Ranger. It's constant. Kids are getting down. Oh, oh, hey, are you guys listening to this? Oh, hey, hey, guys, how's it going? You're listening to another episode of the Command Zone. Hey, how's it, everybody? How's it? How's it? I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? How's it? How's it? I'm Josh Lee Kwai. How is it, Josh? How how are you doing? It's very good, Jimmy. Hey, Josh, how was your week? Meh, meh, never. <laughs> never going to <laughs> Have we ever asked each other how our week was? No, I think I accidentally came close to it a couple of times. I've, 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 I've definitely asked you, like, how are you doing? But that conversation ends within 10 seconds. How are you doing? Hey, how was the weather in Los Angeles this week? It's It's hot. <laughs> it's hot and it's sunny and, yeah, it sounds about normal. <laughs> so we are going to talk Color Wheel. Yeah, we're back to the Color Wheel series. Uh, this time, we're going to talk about white. W-H-I-T-E. Yeah, hot, hot, hot. White hot, indeed. Um, as hot as their devotion to religion and order and all that good stuff. Um, so if you guys don't know, the Color Wheel series is a series that we've been doing about the colors in Magic the Gathering. And Richard Garfield, back in the day when he invented the game, based the game on sort of his philosophy towards five different colors what they represent and how they're going to interact uh, based on a pentagonal wheel slash pie slash whatever you want to call it. And we call it the color wheel, the color pie. It's a circle. That's what matters. And he arranged the colors in a certain order so that each color's neighbors have related philosophies to the ones next to it. And the ones that are opposite of each other have an opposite philosophy. So black and white are the sort of easy ones to see like, oh, black is the opposite of white. And you can see when you look at the back of the card, you can see that the Colors are arranged in a pentagonal shape, and that's where you get to check out like who's next to each other and who's across from each other, like Jimmy said. Yeah, um, and I'm also going to be helped out, and we're going to be helped out today by Mark Rosewater, who is the head designer for the past 12 years for Magic. He heads the R&D team, and they're very talented. They, they know what they're doing. And he's actually more recently been revisiting his original articles on the color wheel and going more in-depth than he did in the past and sort of updating... Uh, how he feels about the colors now and how they've evolved since he wrote the original articles. So make sure you guys go check those out. We have the links to them as well in the show notes. Um, so let's talk about white. Uh, Maro, as we call Mark Rosewater, he said in one of his articles, each color's view of the world is heavily influenced by the thing it values most. Uh, and so when we talked about the other colors, for instance, red values emotion. Uh, blue, we haven't talked about, but they value knowledge and control. White values peace honor, law, religion, order, sort of the stereotypical things you would think about with the color white because white's always been sort of that pure color in history. Uh, back in the olden days, um, if you wore, wore white clothing, it meant that you were pure because also it's hard to keep clothes white in an era when it was very easy to be dirty. <laughs> yeah, it also so, meant you were probably rich because uh, you could clean your clothes. Yeah. Yeah, the thing that I think is sort of maybe not not intuitive when you think about white is the the order part of it you know we get that law religion peace those all make sense but white is very focused around order Mm -hmm. um which maybe is not the first thing that you think of but white is the color that's sort of the most like human society now yes definitely and you can actually see this in the creature types for white they have a lot of humans they have a lot of knights and soldiers and stuff so i think white is definitely the closest analog we have to human society they're very law-abiding, like 
White likes to make rules and then follow the rules. Yeah, and uh, and Marl talks about this as moral law and civil law. So, like a moral law is like what is right and wrong. Murder is wrong, or you know, you know, doing good for others is right. And so, the punishment for not doing those things is white's white. How white shows that punishment if you go against those things is they are very controlling as well. And the civil law is sort of like you're breaking the law, you're stealing something, and the punishments would be like loss of freedom or resources. And, you know, white is a very militaristic color. They have a lot of, uh, and not militaristic necessarily as in having a military, but also militaristic in that they are, because of the order, they are sort of assembled in a way that focuses on the group and the idea of egalitarianism, sort of valuing every member equally and not placing specific precedence or importance on one person above the rest. Yeah, it's that um, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few type philosophy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's very white. In fact, that leads into one of the things about them, which is they're sort of, they're the weenie color. They have the most sort of small creatures. Mm -hmm. They're very good with tokens. It's that military theme that goes with order also. When you think of white in your head, you wouldn't necessarily think of military, but then when you think of how they they view the world, they're very into following the rules, very disciplined, very orderly. That's very military-like. So they have a very military stint to how they work in the game world. Yeah, and that's why you don't see white have stuff like black, for instance, like kill target creature is something you never see on a white card. Uh, Rather, they have stuff like suppression and they banish stuff. So oblivion ring, swords of plowshares where they exile something, lockdown effects like a pacifism or an arrest. That's an enchantment that doesn't necessarily kill the card that it's trying to stop. It just puts them in, in a different place or restricts them from being able to do what the card is supposed to do. Yeah, the, the destroy effects that white does have, it sort of requires them white to get uh, attacked first. Like most of them have destroy target attacking creature or something mm-hmm. like that. So white's like not going to be preemptive. You know, they're black's going to be like, I want to kill that thing. I'm going to kill it. White's going to be like, well, it hasn't done anything to me yet. Right. I can't really justify it. Oh, it attack! It's starting to attack me. Okay, now I'm allowed to. Yeah, or if it's like an arrest, it's like I don't want that thing to attack me. So it's never directly removing it unless it's exiling. It. And those are older cards too, with like swords of plowshares. And even then, there is a balancing effect to it. So white is definitely about that order. When you sword something, you gain life. When you path to exile something, you get a base. The the, the controller gets a basic land. Um, yeah, and and even if you look at the flavor on swords to plowshares, it's turning the thing into a farmer. So it's very sort of similar to pacifism. It's turning it into something that's giving you life rather than taking life. Yeah, and and uh, one of the biggest things that we should talk about: white is known for board wipes. Um, that's why you play five color decks, Josh. Right? Yeah, this is I've I've literally added just white specifically to certain color pairings or color trios because I want the board wipes. And I think that the way that this makes sense in the color pie is that white is about sacrifice, but not in the same way black is. Black wants to sacrifice something for an immediate gain for an individual. White's willing to make sacrifices for the greater good. So white will look around and be like, wow, there's a lot of evil in the world. I'm willing to just wipe the slate clean, even killing my own creatures because that's for the greater good. Yeah, definitely. And the board wipe for white, it's unconditional usually. It's not destroy everything but mine. Black has those kind of board wipes. White usually is destroy every creature on the board. So white's idea of balancing the board, in fact, the basic card balance, 
does this kind of thing where it's like, you know what? It's not just your creatures that are dying. Everything is going to get destroyed at the same time. It's going to return religion, order, and law to the world by getting rid of everything at the same time. Yeah, the, the, the one-sided word wipes that White does have, besides Mass Calcify, it'll have something like Retribution of the Meek or Austere Command, which are sort of like the meek shall inherit the earth. It's sort of protecting right. the small creatures. It's looking out for the little guy because it's destroying all the big guys. So I think that's how it rationalizes it. Yeah, and a great card like Land Tax is sort of the opposite, where instead of um, you equalizing the board to your state, you're catching up to someone else when they have an advantage. You're taxing yeah. them, which is a, it's just super flavorful. I love it. I think that land tax is a very interesting card. It sort of breaks the color pie in a lot of ways. It is how white sort of synthesizes mana ramp. It's not ramp, but yeah. it sort of does a similar type of thing. It's its way to do it. It's not very inside of what white normally does, though. White's also the biggest enchantment color. Yep. It loves enchantments. It, it, it has probably the most enchantments. And I, the way I think this probably works is that it, what are enchantments? Enchantments are sort of new rules to the game. So if you put out an enchantment that says nobody can attack unless they have flying, that's like making a new rule to the game. Well, what does white like? It likes rules. It likes order. It likes following rules and and creating order. And so enchantments are sort of the way to affect the entire world by putting a new rule in place. Yeah, which is really cool. I, I love that idea that white being able to like create something into the world that creates new order or new law which is sort of what enchantment is is very flavorful so in terms of where white has evolved to today it's actually kind of similar in a lot of ways it's it's strange white has been one of those colors that even Morrow says it in his updated article that white was the one color that he got the most right the original time and mm-hmm. i think it's because it's so tied into humanity and and the immediate sort of one-to-one comparisons are there that it's it's not it's not like it's very hard to like have to evolve the color a lot because it wasn't right to begin with. Um, yeah, there's definitely things though that white has added or that they used to do more of, like damage prevention, damage deflection, protection. Right. Like the circles of protection used to exist, they don't really do that anymore. Yeah. Um, creatures have protection from certain colors that's sort of used less and less, but white was sort of the king of that. Yeah, and uh, I think they may have removed it just because it wasn't a very interesting gameplay mechanic, too. So they kind of wanted to evolve what the color was doing. So instead of doing, you know, prevent one damage to me, they're going to say, it's just prevent all damage by making an enchantment that stops them from doing the thing they want to do. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, um, it's, it's really interesting. White's really sort of come into this taxation type of effects, like Thalia, who just makes, a, like, non-creature spells cost a little more. There mm-hmm. was the, what was that card? Vryn Nightmare, the new Vryn one? Vryn Wingmare, yeah. Wingmare, that's yeah, basically exactly. Thalia with wings. The uh, Hate Bear is what it's called. Um, yeah. There's also stuff like uh, Eidolon of Rhetoric, which uh, players can only cast one spell a turn. Yeah. So like the Great Equalizer, and it's an there's, enchanted um, creature, fittingly. Spirit of the Labyrinth, which stops a lot of card draw. Mm-hmm. So, so White sort of moved into this territory of like, again, what are these doing? Changing the rules of the game. Yeah. Or putting rules in place. Yeah, like Grand Abolisher. Like, there are rules on creatures. So Grand Abolisher says no players can cast spells, essentially, that when it's not their turn. Right. It's it's an enchantment. It, it's an enchantment, but on a 2-2 body. Um, you're, you're arresting stuff. White in Limited has a lot of tappers, as in they you can tap them or pay a certain mana cost to tap another creature and lock uh, players down that way. 
Uh, they also have a lot of militaristically themed cards uh, like Bolster and Outlast and Convoke are all abilities that benefit the group as a whole and support the idea of selflessness because when you're bolstering, you're bolstering onto the creature with the lowest amount of toughness. So it's, a, it's, an, it's an effect that essentially is trying to bring everyone up to the same level. You can't just bolster onto your strongest creature. And Outlast is something that takes a character out of, out of sort of contention. You can't do it at instant speed. You have to do it at sorcery speed and tap them. And they're removed from the battlefield, but they get a balancing effect, which is they get slightly stronger so that they can outlast the opponent. And it's about the group outlasting, not just sort of one, one creature doing it above the rest. Yeah, we should mention that uh, white is also the the color of anthem effects. So sort of enchantments or creatures or things that sit there on the battlefield and make all your creatures bigger. That's definitely in white's realm. It's in their wheelhouse. It's one of the things they do best. Cathar's Crusade. Mm -hmm. Actually, the first card that did this, I think, was probably Crusade, which gave, I believe, all white creatures plus one plus one. Uh, That's just been something that's theirs from the start. Uh, yeah, and they have Crusade a bunch is of... actually one of the most used words when it comes to white, like Mirren Crusader, um, uh, just Celestial Crusader. There's lots of Crusaders. <laughs> well, that's it's a holy war, right? So it's very much in what white is. It's a military, um, it's a military expedition mm-hmm. for religious reasons. So what yeah. could be more white than that? Yeah, and that's actually one of the biggest uh, themes and tribes of white would be angels just literal flying beings that are descending from heaven and have a lot of flavor behind them. Not the same kind of angels you would see in modern religion and stuff, but sort of magic's version of them. Uh, That's why white also really likes to resurrect stuff. Um, It's different than what black does. It's not the same as put a card from your graveyard on top of your library or into your hand or like green to regrow it into your hand. Every color has their own version of it. White is usually around the idea of bringing them back to the battlefield alive. Sun Titan, Reveillark. Yeah, usually it's smaller stuff too. I mean, it's not all, but in general, it's bringing something directly to the battlefield, but it restricts the size that it can be. Yeah, definitely. Um, and also flickering. I didn't really uh, write this down originally, but you added it to the outline, and I totally forgot about it. But yeah, white and blue are the colors of flicker, which is probably one of the strongest mechanics when it comes to EDH. It's one of those incremental value uh, mechanics that's very, very strong. Yeah, it's... It's definitely there. A, a couple other mechanics. Flying, of course. Uh, I, I believe blue's the first in flying and white's the second, but it's very, very close either way. Yeah, in almost every flyers, in almost in every limited environment, if you don't know anything, you can almost always just try and draft that archetype, and it's usually there. Um, there's just a lot of, of flying in those two colors, and it's very powerful in EDH. Flying is just one of those things where it's funny how often, if you have a flyer, you can just hit somebody. Yeah. Yeah, vigilance is something we've talked about. It it doesn't get the respect that it deserves in EDH. It's just a lot better than it is in the other formats because you're just defending more often than you are attacking, just by nature of being multiplayer. Yeah. So vigilance is one of these things. And how perfect of a mechanic is it for white? Because it allows white to attack without leaving itself open. Because white's about protection, so it wouldn't really want to attack at the uh, expense of its defense. Yeah, exactly. But, it wouldn't want vi- one person swinging in and compromising the whole thing. Exactly, but this allows it to attack without causing an opening. So it was, of course, on Sarah Angel. It wasn't called Vigilance then. It's been there from the start, like you said. Yeah, and also, of course, indestructible. Sort of, it's so holy and so divine and powerful that n- that normal things cannot destroy it. 
Um, yeah, it's righteous authority gives it the power to withstand anything. Yeah, yeah. And there's stuff like Spectre Ward as well that gives it protection from a lot of uh, colors, sort of like the damage prevention we talked about before. Oh, and we should say life gain. Of course, white is the color of life gain. Not yeah. just life link, but also just cards that have a lot more incidental life to the, tied to them or just cards that just straight say gain this amount of life. Yeah, it's interesting because in limited, you don't really pay attention to life gain. In EDH, you, it's different but you still tried to not really pay that much attention to it it's funny that we actually almost completely forgot it from our list just because it's one of those effects that we don't think about that often but when it comes to flavor and what white wants to do and what white it values and respects life gain is definitely right up there yeah in edh we're going to tend towards life uh damage prevention more than life gain because mm -hmm. damage prevention usually can affect uh, commander damage also whereas life gain doesn't really affect commander damage yeah and damage is prevention in general being able to stop someone from hitting you is much better than just like letting them hit you and then wasting a card on gaining that much life back because totally. you're going to always be fighting a losing battle especially with multiple multiple players all right let's talk about some strengths and weaknesses of the color of white we've already covered uh, some of them but to make the color wheel work each individual color has to be very balanced and the reason that magic works is because each color is balanced in relationship to the other colors and the developers get to really play with the little edges in between the colors and sort of what works and what doesn't. You know, why is this archetype strong and what makes it not strong so that when you're drafting it, you can make sure that, you know, everyone has an equal chance on the playing field depending on what they draft in in sort of when they play the game. And the the reason that sometimes the draft environment sucks in magic is because one archetype is just way stronger than the rest. And that's right. sort of the thing that you always want to avoid. And that's why EDH is a great game is because, because you have access to every card in the history of Magic. In general, you're going to have more balanced games because everyone's able to draw from a much larger card pool. So we've talked about strength in numbers already, just the power of numbers, tokens. Uh, white is very good with tokens because they both create tokens and they have ways to pump your entire team. Uh, yeah. We talked about board wipes already. Board wipes one of the strongest things you can do in EDH. So white's the best at board wipes. That's really the number one thing that white brings to the table. It's the reason a lot of times that you wish you had white if you don't. Yeah, and it's taboo to talk about, but white is also the color when it comes to land destruction. Um, not many other colors really can do this. Red has ways of blowing up lands, but white has Armageddon. White has a thing that can just get rid of every land on the table. And it's illegal in EDH, but it's rarely played because it's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like someone like forcing their, like, it's like, kind of like getting Jehovah's Witnesses at the door, right? Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> like you, you don't, you know it can happen, but you don't want it to. And it really is a hassle because it's like, great, I have to, like, if you get all your lands wiped off the board, it's really an unpleasant experience in EDH because so much of the game is dependent on being able to play the spells out of your hand just in general that being able to do that is why it's so taboo. It's undeniably an extremely powerful effect. It's also undeniably a hot button issue that's definitely going to rub people the lo the wrong way. Yeah. And that just, you know, in a casual format that that may be just a little bit too high of a price to pay. I only have one deck that has Armageddon in it. I rarely will even play it when it's in my hand. Uh, and I don't care when other people play it, but I'm still sensitive to other people's feelings about that card. Yeah, it's definitely... It's, it's so hot button. I mean, we could, again, spend many episodes just talking about that in general and how... I mean, maybe maybe there's a future series about how to make land destruction work in your meta because there are ways to, you know, really... There are ways. 
There are ways. Um, something you put down, we didn't mention it earlier, but I like this, is white is actually the color that's either best or second best at artifact destruction and mm. enchantment destruction. So not only are they great at making enchantments, they're really good at destroying enchantments and, and also artifacts because those two things go together often. Yeah, and it's very thematic, too, because as much as white likes to establish order by putting their own enchantments down, they also like to make sure that no one else is messing with that natural order with their own enchantments or their own crazy artifacts. So white has the ability to disenchant, which is one of the more iconic white cards Definitely, the, uh, early days. And those types of cards are very much needed in EDH because there's two whole colors that have no ability to interact with enchantments. Yeah, uh, exactly. So that's another reason you might want to go into white. Oh, this last one, man, we, I can't believe I didn't even think of it. We didn't mention it earlier. Uh, white is the equipment color. You betcha. White just, loves equipment. White can fetch equipment out. White has planeswalkers like Nahiri that pop equipment out. Um, it's, they yeah. have uh, Stoneforge Mystic. They've got all kinds of cards that like take advantage of. There's like Kemba Ka Region, I think. Is that the one that likes mm-hmm. having equipment, makes tokens if you have equipment? Like, it's so white because it's military, and military has weapons. Um, yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't think of this, but this is great. Yeah, it, to- it totally makes a lot of sense just for white to have an affinity towards weapons in general. Um, I mean, every color has their own sort of focused weapon for that color, but white is the one that most reliably has the tutors for equipment specifically. Um, now, the weaknesses of white means that uh, it's really interesting because white having the reliance on the group and the reliance on sort of everyone working together in unison means that things need to be on the battlefield in general for white instead of being in the hand. So white kind of puts it all out there when it goes all out. There's It, it can hide stuff in its hand, like instant speed removal it has, but it doesn't have that many ways to interact when someone casts a spell against you. You can't counter it. You can't uh, cast something and do something that's super instant speed because it just white doesn't have access to as many things. They're better at playing with their creatures on the board. I tap three of these guys to exile one of your guys because they were five soldiers. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't have things in the hand usually that can interact as much. Yeah, it's not as much like deal four damage to your face and finish you off. It just can't do that type of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Now white can gain a bunch of life or you know um, do something like that. But it's it's usually those effects are left for blue red black and those other colors but white because of the reliance on the group they need things to be on the battlefield to be sort of laid out in front of them for them to affect the order of the natural universe Mm -hmm. they're also not great at tutoring and they can only tutor very specifically so they can tutor for equipment artifacts enchantments and that's kind of it yeah and there's Um, not a lot of of those either there's only a few yeah, and it it makes sense. I don't think white should have the ability as well to be able to just grab anything from their deck. Um, I don't think it fits thematically, and it makes sense. When it goes to tutoring abilities, red is by far the worst, and then red. it goes white. And I think the rest, because I think being able to fetch creatures in green immediately places it as better than white because creatures are the bread and butter of Magic the Gathering, even if it's not necessarily so in EDH. The ability to just get a creature is usually most games are won with creatures on the board. Yeah, I agree. Um, um, another weakness is just, we talked about this earlier, but white doesn't really like to just reach out and destroy stuff. It does have a couple cards, and by destroy, I just mean get rid of, so Path to Exile, sort of Plowshares. But aside from stuff like that, it's usually, like you said, it's, it's taking care of the creature in a way that's not destroying it. So it's Oblivion Ring, it's Arrest, it's Pacifism, it's Oppression Bonds. The problem with that stuff is they can get rid of the card 
that's keeping their creature down and therefore get their creature back. Yeah, like Angel of Serenity is an incredible card until it gets removed, and then yeah. everything that you got rid of it, that got rid of it with it, is like, hey, we're back to play. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's back to their hand, but it, it, they don't lose that card. Yeah, exactly. They don't. Yeah. yeah it's it's it, like Banisher Priest, same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So they can, and they can surprise you too. So what happens is you Oblivion Ring something, you think it's fine, you go to attack them, they go, ha ha, get rid of my Oblivion Ring block, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, and especially if those creatures have Enter the Battlefield abilities, they get to have extra value off of those as well. Good point. And, um, well, we never see Enter the Battlefield abilities in EDH. Yeah, never. never <laughs> of course not. <laughs> uh, uh, I think, you know, when we talked to Donald Miner from EDH Rec, one of the things we noticed is that Mono White was the least played archetype. And I, yep. think, I think it's because White, it seems awesome because we're talking about all this stuff, and as we were going through this, I'm like, Holy cow, white does a ton of stuff. It's super versatile, has a lot of utility. There's almost nothing that it can't do, but the problem is there's there's actually a couple things it can't do, and they're the two things we always talk about. Yeah. For card every draws, deck. Card draws bad. Just they're not good. <laughs> yeah, they're the worst. I think red used to be sort of down there with white, maybe a little worse or tied, but in recent in recent sets we've gotten Chandra Pyromaster, we've gotten Outpost Siege. Siege yeah. We've gotten Red has a new kind of card draw, and Red's card draw is exile a card at the beginning of your upkeep, and you can play it uh, until end of turn. So it's sort of pseudo card draw. White doesn't have that equivalent, and so now I think white is actually the worst card draw color, which is bad for EDH. Yeah, and there's just a couple of cards. I mean, that's why um, uh, that one card was at the top of our whitelists, that every time a creature with power two or mentor of the meek, mentor because of the it's meek, just yeah. like, it's card draw in white, and that immediately makes it one of the best white cards. Yep, for um, sure. And this is why also, Skull Clamp is so often the best card in a yeah. white deck, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, white like red has to rely on artifacts when you're in the monocolors to really fulfill that sort of part of its weakness. Um, white's also just not good at ramping. There's not many cards outside of something like land tax, but that doesn't necessarily ramp you. It just gets you lands in your hand. Yep. So, uh, I mean, the good thing about ramp is that you can cover your butt a lot by just putting mana rocks in, you know, soul ring, yeah. Thrawn dynamo, gilded Lotus, worn power stone. There's a ton of them. So ramp is not as important, but it's still definitely like every deck needs it. And the fact that you don't have any great synergistic mana ramp cards, you know, you have to just do, all basic basically all mana rocks is a downside yeah well i mean it leads you leaves you open to just artifact hate too you know green for has sure. creatures that can tap for mana white if you're only using artifacts well someone can definitely take advantage of that and yep shattering spree you till you're not happy <laughs> i'm not happy i'm not happy about this all right let's talk about uh some of white's allied and enemy colors so again if you look at the pentagonal shape on the back of your cards you'll see that the allied colors are next to white so to the left it's blue and to the right it's green and across from white would be the enemy color so black and red and it should be pretty obvious why these are the enemies of uh the colors just sort of from just looking at the color too from the color spectrum fortunately these colors are the reasons that white is very good is because while white doesn't have card draw or ramp that's terribly strong, it's got so many other colors that can fulfill and like sort of really buffer these weaknesses and make white a very fun color to play with. Yeah, white definitely covers you in a lot of areas. So if your other colors giving you the things it's not good at, then it can be super strong. Uh, we're going to start with Boros, which mm-hmm. ironically is sort of the hardest color pairing We've bagged on it a little of, of late, and I think people, few people have sort of taken uh, exception to that. But I still maintain red-white is just the hardest deck, two-color pair deck to build in EDH. Because yeah. 
And again, why? Because both have bad card draw and they're both bad at ramp. And it's also just straight yes. aggressive. <laughs> yeah. It, all things that are just not necessarily good in EDH. I'm not saying you cannot build a good deck in those colors. It's just harder. And then it's just harder to build a variety of different decks in those colors. So you're basically going to go sort of some kind of aggro build when you do this. Yeah. Uh, and it's the purpose with passion is how uh, Morrow describes it. It's sort of like it, it's still very military based. Um, it still has a lot of like battalion. Uh, they have a lot of combat tricks, a lot of evasion. It's focused on being fast and evasive, and it's just not very good in the late game usually. Um, and we've talked about this as well on our red episode, and you can hear more about it there. We won't go too in deep with it now, but essentially, combat tricks and evasion and like little tricks and like small things to get small edges are not where you want to be in EDH because you're losing cards to get a very small advantage instead of you know playing something and have it gaining you value over the course of a game. Yeah, and just aggro strategies in general are balanced for 20 life. It's too, it'd be way too powerful if they balanced it for 40. And so it just doesn't actually translate to our format that well. Not that an aggro strategy can never work. It's just harder. Yeah, definitely. And of course, if you guys want to prove us wrong about this, please do, because I'm always trying to uh, find out better ways to play red-white. Um, so is also uh, Kessler, who is, uh, who's trying to build every two-color combination in, in Magic right now for EDH. And red-white is one of the few that he is having a lot of trouble with. It's just tough. Red-white is tough on Johnny's, I got to say. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> not not too much comboing going off there. Not too much where people are going to go, wow, I can't believe you did that. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's like, oh, wow, you attacked me with a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Golf clap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next color pairing uh, is the enemy pair of Orzhov, or white and black. Now, this is a very iconic pairing because it's not as simple as just good versus evil. That sort of might be the first thing that comes to mind. The thing is, like, there can be very evil white characters, um, that characters that are fully in the colors of white, but for instance, are, you know, like a corrupted um, religious figure that goes mad crazy. Um, Morrow actually gives a couple examples of, of evil figures that are considered white in the way that they act at the end of his uh, articles that are actually characters from movies and stuff. And that's really fascinating to see. And black is also uh, notably the only other color that really focuses on religion like white. They both have clerics. They both have a lot of uh, religious imagery in in their uh, their color their individual colors, and so together, it's not as simple as good as evil. Because white cares about morality, it doesn't mean that black cares about immorality. Black just doesn't even care about morality at all. They're amoral. Yeah, black is about the individual, whereas white is about the group, and that's where their sort of contention comes from. So what you get is like Orzov, which is basically like organized crime or the mafia. <laughs> so it's like individual, an individual group, if that makes sense. So whereas white would normally care about society as a whole, Orzov cares about the society within the society, like a little sect of the society. So it wants to, it's willing to do whatever for its little sub-society to advance. Yeah, exactly. And they still do care about the group. Like, Black is all about selfishness and about the self, but it needs to use the group as an extension of itself in order to use them for its own means. So they're, they're both still dependent on the idea of groups, just how they individually interact with that group is very different. Um, and like the Mafia said, like, like Josh said with the Mafia, like their patience is understandably very very strong in white black 
uh, they can kill you over the long game. They're about extorting, which is one of the main mechanics, which is anytime you cast a spell and if a creature has extort, you can pay either white or black, and each other player loses a life and you gain a life. So it's sort of that sort of min- minimal taking away from you over the course of a long time. Like, we're the mafia. We're bleeding you out of your money every month until you have nothing left. Yep. Um, some iconic- I mean, I mean, forget about it. Hey, forget about hey, it. Hey, forget about it. Yeah. Uh, some iconic cards in uh, Orzhov would be like Ghost Council of Orzava or the Ghost Daddy himself, White, White, Black, Black. Uh, oh, man, when, forget about it. That card is forget good. Forget about it, yeah. <laughs> it is really good. It was in Modern Masters as well. Um, when he enters the battlefield, target opponent loses one life and you gain one life, so it's essentially like extort. And you can pay one to sacrifice a creature, a very black effect, exile this creature, and then you return to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So Ooh, he's forget very, about it. Yeah, forget about it. You want to kill this guy? Forget about it. He's going to just flicker himself out of there. So the white flicker effect compared with the sacrificing the, a creature to be able to trigger it is very white-black. Like, this card is, the flavor is out the door. You yeah, can that, just forget about it. You can forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you want to move on to allied pairs? Yeah. So allied pairs and, uh, well, these are these are where it gets fun for me because white white and their allies are some of the most played color pairings, I think, in EDH. Selesnia, uh, white-green. This is as token-centric as it gets. Yeah, this is token city. Yeah, you can just forget about it. It's token city. <laughs> um, white and green are very selfless colors because white's all about order and religion, and green is all about natural nature and natural order. Uh, and so together, they're about... You know, while green wants to grow out of control, it's also not doing it in a non in, in a false way. Green is doing it organically, and white is likes that sort of organic growth. Mm-hmm. Um, there, it's a very creature centric color pairing, uh, and also just the idea of a higher power, like the spiritualism that green has. Like we, you know, Mother Earth, um, and white has just religion for uh, whatever their deity is, Heliod, God of the Sun, etc. Right. Um, a lot of token generation, a lot of token pump. And I really like the, the cards that fit into this, like Gaddic Teague. That's an interesting a, one that stood out to me um, because it's, there it's also so are a lot of hate bears in yeah. both these colors. So, you know, you tokens is one way to go. You can also go like pure hate bears. Um, we talked about Gaddic Teague in a previous episode with Alex Kessler. I'll read him again really quick. He's two mana, a green and a white for a 2-2. He is a legendary creature. It says non-creature spells with converted mana cost four or greater can't be played. So if it costs four or more and it's not a creature, you cannot play it. Jeez. And then he says non-creature spells with X in their mana cost can't be played. This guy shuts off like 70% of a lot of decks. It's pretty insane. <laughs> um, and white and green just have, like we mentioned earlier, there's the Thalias and so-and-so. There's a lot of effects that sort of change the rules of the game on creatures this is a very powerful way to build a Celestia deck also. Yeah, it's great because it's saying this is the natural order of the world is that things can't be power four or greater, which kind of goes against what Green wants to do, which is put out giant, massive guys. But well, at the same time, it's... You creatures know, it's, are fine. Galactique doesn't stop creatures at oh, all. Oh, right, right, right. It's non-creatures. Right, yeah. So, you know, it's it's saying like, we're I don't know about all this fanciful, m- magical stuff. You know, the life and nature is about creatures growing and evolving and you know it's not about sort of outside forces and mystical stuff yeah and we know that green hates stuff like enchantments and artifacts because they are not of this world and so that's why green has the ability to destroy both of them as does white 
So Ganactig and the Hate Bear theme fit very well into this. Yes. Ooh, the next color pairing is probably my second favorite one after Simic. It's Azorius, white and blue. Azorius it's, is um, great. Yeah, I love this color pairing. It's the sort of... It's the thoughtful calculating. It's the foresight and the planning colors. You know, of course, it it appeals to my Johnny mind. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's white likes blue a lot, clearly, because when white looks at blue, it sees that blue is values, careful thought, planning, and order, and they both hate chaos. So Amaro always says you can learn a lot about the color pairings by looking at who their shared enemy color is. In this case, their shared enemy color of white and blue is red. So right. that's really what ties Azorius together. Yeah, I think Morrow also said that uh, the Federation from Star Trek Yeah, Captain is, Jean-Luc is, Picard. Yeah, he's he's very Azorius. I mean, what is the Federation? Like, they, they like to follow the rules. They like to be upright, upstanding citizens. You know, they're stalwart. They follow the prime directive. You know, they don't attack first. That You know, they're all these things that is so, like, white and blue. Yeah, it's a really fun exercise to think about characters in popular culture and what colors they would be. And definitely Jean-Luc Picard and sort of the Federation do have those colors. Um, and if you look inside the, the other characters, you can see that they all have their own variations. And they're not all Azorius, but yeah, the Federation from Star Trek definitely is an Azorius sort of grouping. And if you look at the... Um, another really nice thing to do if you want to find out more about the color pairings and what you can do for those color pairings is look at the tribal aspects and the elements inside um the color pairings and what you what you have like the creature types as well like white blue has a lot of wizards and a lot of kithkins um there are a lot of advisors uh, which sort of fits in with the federation sort of like justicar is that how you say it justicar justicars yeah justicars they're juiced up and ready to deal some law out forget about it man <laughs> they will give you some juice yeah exactly so you can sort of look at those uh character types and figure out what the color pairing is about um, yeah, white and blue is very much about like your conscious brain overcoming your emotional side of your brain. You know, it's about like thinking past like your gut instinct to punch somebody in the face and going, you know what, that's I'm going to get in trouble if I do that. I won't do that. You know, that's what this color pair really does. Yeah, exactly. Um, some and of course, it's also the colors of flicker white and blue. Oh, um, yeah, that's probably actually why I like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we talked about Venture the Sojourner uh, on our episode with James Pianca. He lets you flicker any permanent you own and returns to your battlefield and under control at the beginning of the next end step. Um, Grand Arbiter Augustine IV is sort of the idea of the Justicar human advisor, the conduit of justice. He makes your white and blue spells cost one less to cast, and he makes your opponent's spells one more to cast. So he's like the mother brain of the ship. He's Oh, uh, he's like a hate bear plus. Yeah, hate bear plus. That's a great way. Is the central him. computer you said earlier? Oh, yeah, the, yeah, the central computer of like a spaceship flying through space, like the defense system being like, well, I'm going to make this ship run better and hopefully use my defenses to make everything else harder on the enemies to like track us or target us, kind of sort of that sort of stuff. Yeah, and, and don't forget that this is also the color pairing of flying. So flying, very important at EDH. Always surprised how powerful it is, uh, how there's usually somebody without a flyer at the table. Yeah. It's almost a guaranteed way to at least get some damage in. It's just have a flyer in the air. Yep. Unsurprisingly. Um, so we'll talk about the shards and wedges uh, for these colors later at some point. And again, to find out what the shard is, 
uh, you look at the color wheel and you take white and you find its two neighbors and that's a shard. And to find a wedge, you take its one neighbor and then it's the color that is the en- the shared enemy color of those. So it's like a pizza wedge across the uh, color pie. Um, but there's a lot more to delve into there. But So we're going to cover those, of course, in another episode. So let's finally move on to our final topic here of how to best use white in EDH. Um, it's best when paired up. It's best when triple, tripled up with other colors. Yeah, it's it's the weakest mono color, but it's super powerful when you pair it with another color that that covers its weaknesses. Yeah, and it can control the board state. Like these board wipes are no joke. They're the most powerful thing I think you can do in a multiplayer game because you're going to get so much value off of destroying 3 4 people's boards entirely with a well-timed wrath of god or humility. Yep. Uh, I mean, white has some of the most powerful cards in the game. Um, Avacyn is very, very powerful. Humility, which you talked about. Armageddon, those are all very unique effects. Um, Then, of course, the board wipes. It probably has the card that we hear the most that people want to have banned, which is ironically getting reprinted again. (laughs) I was wondering why you hadn't mentioned her when you mentioned Avacyn. Yeah, because I wanted to put a special underline, italicized. It's Iona. I don't know. Why is Watsi so excited to flood the world with more ionas i do not know yeah from modern masters 2 to from the vault angels i don't know did you see the art though it looks really sweet it does but i <laughs> it doesn't look so sweet that i ever want to see it on the battlefield that's true and that's why i'm gonna be putting it in my next mono white deck just for uh, you. <laughs> forget about it yeah forget about it get out of here um white also has the best one-to-one removal spells with path to exile and source to plowshares because it exiles a creature for minimal upside for the person and for incredibly cheap for just one white mana at instant speed yeah um yeah it's, this is pretty simple really like what white has other colors want anthem effect is very good in token strategies the ability to go wide is really help if you're trying to go aggro with boros um you can do a lot of damage with white and gain a lot of life as well and of course the board wipes every color has their own version of a board wipe but white has the most flexibility like it's not damage based like reds is um it's just nice and also like damnation is mono black and very expensive wrath of god is not <laughs> yeah wrath of god super cheap does the exact same thing yep. uh yeah white is great it's a very very strong color it's usually the color that i wish i could add um when i'm building a deck that that doesn't have it white's the one that i miss the most i agree you i mean (laughs) when you build a deck and you don't have white you definitely notice that it's not there and you find that you put in a lot of cards to kind of mitigate that um white's also great at controlling it has a lot of fog effects like green does humility is just one of those very wide effects that just shuts down the entire board linvala iona we've talked about this um there's non-graveyard resets there's a lot of the tuck that white was known for with Hallow Burial and Terminus. Even though you can't put a general on the bottom of someone's deck anymore, it doesn't matter. Like Terminus is still an incredibly powerful card because so many people are messing around with their graveyard that sticking all their creatures on the bottom of their library really hoses some decks. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, downsides, though, no one likes when you play Iona, clearly. No one likes that hard control. <laughs> no one likes yeah. when you have your ghostly prison out. Yeah, I mean, that's just, like, you playing specific cards. I think the downsides of playing white is just that white doesn't have card draw on mana ramp. And other than that, like, it's all upside. Yeah, exactly. Um, And, of course, white is very good with equipment. White is very good with tribal synergies. Uh, Of course, you could say that for every color. But I think white is exceptionally nice because they have angels. 
and angels can fly. And also, they've had soldiers and knights since the first sets. And these cards have so many tribal options that, you know, like some people are like, man, I wish they would have better vampire options or whatever. Like, there are lots of soldiers and knights for you to play with here. Yep, good point. Um, cards you may not think of also ways that white breaks the color pie. Land tax. <laughs> yeah, I think land tax is kind of outside the color pie. That's a good one. Like, when you think about a path to exile is kind of outside the color pie. It's not the exile part. It's just the part that they go get a land. It's kind of yeah. weird. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's trying to like say that they're balancing stuff out, but at the same time, it's it just yeah, it's an older card. It's it's interesting. Yeah. Um, um, Armageddon is on here. We've talked about it, but it's definitely white doesn't do that anymore. Yeah, exactly. And it's just a card you might not think of because you just don't think about playing it, but it may be the card that you need to win in your meta. Who knows? Yep. <laughs> don't say I told you that to do so though. Yeah, do not say that the command zone endorsed Armageddon. Absolutely not. Um, favorite commanders? Anything you want to build around for white, Josh? I'm not a big mono white guy, but I mean, if I was building one, it would probably be Elishnorn, or I might try the new Gideon slash Kithian. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that would be really interesting to build a deck around the uh, Kithian because you get to have a planeswalker flip planeswalker. Yeah, um, I would build Hakori Dust Drinker. Oh, that's a good. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. It's, Do you want to read it? Yeah, he's two and two white for a two-two. Uh, lands don't untap during their controllers untap steps, and at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player untaps a land he or she controls. It would be so hard though in white when you don't have ramp and you're only allowed to untap one land a turn. Well, you would have to have a lot of self flicker so that you can yeah, exactly. get rid of it for your turn, so you can untap and nobody else can. It would be cool if you could pull it off. I'd, yeah. Well, I I deserve you to play that on me because of my Derevi deck. Yes, yes. Now you get to taste your own medicine. Forget about it. <laughs> well, in theory. In theory. Forget yeah. about it. <laughs> forget about it in theory, too. I don't know if I'll ever build that deck. Um, guys, make sure you read Mark Rosewater's articles. They cover all of this, and he is very well-spoken. He's been a writer for a very long time. He knows what he's talking about. So um, start experimenting. I mean, I, clearly, I think a lot of us, when we build decks, already have white in them. I think it's definitely a color that we gravitate towards when we're just starting out with the game. Um, in any format so you know thank you i would also listen to morrow's podcast the drive to work podcast uh you probably already know about it but if you don't then definitely getting to know the color pie will make you better at the game it just our format's so big we have ev- available to us every card in the history of magic you just can't possibly know every card but what you can know is sort of the intricacies of how each color works and when you know that you can narrow down the possibilities of what each player can do based on what colors they're playing and what mana they have available, even without knowing specifically what cards they might have. Yeah, and he talks about designing certain sets too. So if you really liked Avacyn, for example, he did like a four-part series just talking about how they went through and designed that entire set. So make sure you check those out. You can learn a lot about the game just both Vorthos-wise and also just design-wise, and it help you break down sort of what they're trying to do with the set. And I think you can make you a better player in general, so a lot of good stuff. All right, moving on to the end step where we talk about something outside of the world of magic. It's my turn this time. I've been reading a new uh, comic book series written by Brian K. Vaughn and illustrated by Fiona Staple. Uh, Staples? Yeah, Fiona Staples. Uh, Brian K. Vaughn is an amazing uh, writer. He wrote Why the Last Man. Uh, he wrote a comic book series called Ex Machina, which is not the movie. Um, and oh, dang it. I was going to be like, sweet. Yeah. It's and, still probably sweet. Yeah, it is actually really sweet. And Saga, which is a uh, space opera slash fantasy. Oh, I um, don't... I think I've seen Saga. Yeah, it's they're, they're, so they're currently uh, in the process of making it. So they're 30 issues in. 
Uh, they've been making it since 2012, I think now. I think I've seen like a cover or something. I didn't read yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's an incredibly, it's, oh man, it's it's awesome. It's oh, yeah? super involved. Yeah, it's about this sort of, uh, there's two species in this world that look, one of them, ha- uh, the one species has like horns and they kind of look like rams and the other has wings. And they they both look like they're humans, but they've been engaged in it just wars for all of their existence. I want to. I want wings. I don't want horns. Yeah, I would want wings too. Okay, but they have limited flight abilities. I think anyway, oh. just because they're evolved out of them, they're kind of just placeholders. They're like chickens. Nah, well, chickens can kind of fly. Yeah, I guess kind of like chickens, but <laughs> they okay. look more like. Change our mind. I want ram horns. <laughs> anyway, so the two races have fought forever, and it's about the story of one of two soldiers from each side that defected and had a baby together. And the entire galaxy is out hunting for them. Um, and it, it's... Oh, it's like West Side Story or Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, it's kind of got a little I, bit I of went that with the <laughs> with the remake instead of the classic. There. Yeah, well, it's like the star-crossed lovers that are not meant to be together. And they're sort of running away from everything. And there's just the world is so fleshed out. There's so much detail in it in terms of who's chasing them. Like, there are these crazy guys that are part of the government that have giant TVs on their heads that are like spacesuits that like always show an image of like random stuff, but they, they're like dressed like corporals and stuff. It's just really cool how they flesh out the world and how everything really fits together in that universe. It's really beautiful, really illustrated well, and very funny. So It's called Saga? Saga, yeah. S-A-G-A. Well, geez, sold, sold, man. I want to check it out. Yeah, it's great. Actually, I think we might have one of the volumes for you. You might be able to bring it to uh, your Asia trip. You might uh, be reading awesome. it right now as this podcast airs. Who I knows? probably am. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to assume I am and loving it. All right. All right make cool. sure you check out our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern, with Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman. You can find that podcast right next to ours on rocketjump.com, or you can go to Twitter and find them at The MMCast. Our editor for the show is Eli Cuevas, and special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the Living Cards animations that you can find on our videos. You can also find Jeffrey's work at Living Cards MTG and our podcast videos at youtube.com slash the command zone podcast it's all there all right everybody thanks for listening and we'll see you next time peace thank you for your attention for further inquiries send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on twitter at jf wong and at josh lee kwai see you later alligator greetings humans (laughs)